Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's exciting. The schedules are trickling out. There's all this news about the the upcoming season. It's exciting. It's not even trickling out. This is like a straight up like flood of just events after events. It it it's a little overwhelming to be totally honest. I think there's just so many awesome things on the schedule that it's a little like holy crap. What do I do? Yeah. Our calendar's already filling up. True. Maybe we're jumping on too many too early. I don't know. I don't think there's so. still a little like locally. I guess is my, I guess my perspective is that we're still sort of you know as people try and plan their training or plan whatever for the next year. We're still we're still waiting on a little bit, but yeah. Well, in the meantime, we're also starting to have the reality of winter setting in here in Ontario. I just came back from sunny Phoenix where I was speaking at the Outspoken Summit, which was. Honestly, just so, so much fun, so inspiring. We kicked off my my new podcast, the Business of Fitness podcast. Uh, if you're interested in sort of the more granule, granular businessy side of things, if you ever wondered, you know, what it takes to run a yoga studio or, you know, start a physical therapist practice or even just work within any kind of areas of the industry, mm-hmm. uh, I probably have an episode for you at this point. So we have like 15 or so episodes already up on the business of fitness. So you can, yeah, just head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, search for that. Um, it's with the Feisty Media Network, which is very exciting. Uh, and yeah, that was that was just such a fun time, except then I came home to snow blanketing everything. I'm not impressed. DW's not impressed. That's right. It finally came. So yeah, winter's here, but we're excited for that. New sports and movements and challenges and variab- variability. And on that note of challenges, you've been doing pretty well with your uh, ride outside all through December challenge. Well, you were out on the trail today. This week was busy, so I actually just didn't move a lot to be honest maybe that's the unfortunate Uh, upshot of this that's what i said the challenge to not ride indoors does leave the opening that you just don't have to do very much which is the variability right this is sort of the seasonality that's built into it's november it's a long ways till most people's races or goals so it's supposed to be a little open and variable but i was outside the town paths were in great shape so explored around town on the pass on my bike and then did a run and yeah, that's pretty good. I think I was almost three hours total, so nice. there you go. Excellent. Uh, and our sort of big news, we sort of almost alluded to it there at the beginning, is we are going to be at the Quebec Single Track Experience. This is a one, three, or five-day-long mountain bike stage race in Quebec, sort of just outside of Quebec City. So if you haven't ever been there before, honestly, it's such a cool area. It's such mm-hmm. a cool location. They've invested, you know, the government's invested a lot of money in trails in Quebec, and there is just a, a great number of trails. And, and so what Quebec Single Track Experience does is they, they actually shuttle you to, I guess, five different venues that are just world-class, super fun all you know all great trails all great times um and we've had lots of clients do this last year i think we had four or five there so i I said to molly as everyone was there and having a great time i said we have to go next year we have to connect with them and go so 
we're hoping that we can have lots of listeners, clients, whoever, uh, friends. We're hoping to have, a, you know, just overtake the Quebec single track experience. It's true. Party at the consummate athlete tent. I think if we have critical mass of people, I'll maybe do some yoga sessions pre or post ride, get everyone limbered up or cooled down after. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of fun stuff we can be doing. So definitely consider coming and hanging out with us. And we have a code. That's right. Do you remember the code? Yes, I did. <laughs> it's a very long code. You said that so as like, if you had a get up. out get out your pen and paper. So right now they have an early bird discount. Uh, so you're going to get it a little cheaper if you commit early. This is the way races work. But we also have a special code, which is QS one hundred hyphen. PG and that's all capitals. So again, QS100 hyphen PG for Peter Glassford. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Along with the link there. Uh, but if you Google Quebec single track experience, I'm sure you'll find the right place. Uh, and if and you just head over to our Instagram, uh, there'll be one of the links that you can click that'll take you straight there too, or, or just take you to where message it's us be. directly or in the comments and we'll, we'll give it to you, but we'd love to have you. Uh, it would be great to connect. And these are, I always say stage racing is the best type of racing. Uh, it's like going to summer camp. So Yeah, we always called uh, TSE single track summer camp and it always felt like it. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the, the best thing you can do if you're kind of feeling a little maybe like blah on sort of the one day race is honestly try the several try day five, race. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and they do let you actually do this. There's a ride and a race, I believe, are sort of these two different categorizations. So you get to start a little later. I think they might shorten the course in some cases for the ride. Uh, and, and you can just, there's no timing. No one times you, I think is, is the implication, but you get a, a guided route through these five great areas. So some people will, will elect for that. I'm sure. Plus dining hall and all that kind of stuff, which is always nice. Well, that's nice still included. You're to, still yeah. allowed to eat if you don't race. That's for sure. Nice have, nice to just have a few days where you don't have to think about anything but being an athlete. It's honestly very similar to being at some of these like training camps where all you have to do is ride and eat and recover. So. Yeah, I guess if you're fortunate enough to go to something like that. But yeah, it's like going on a tour uh, is, is how a lot of people, you know, they might not even prepare that vigorously for it. They might just go and and ride as they might ride at home. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, today's guest, uh, Leah Davison, was there last year. She'll be there again this year. Uh, so if you've ever wanted to hang out with an Olympian in real life or maybe get a few tips, uh, this is the place to be because Leah is one of the warmest, kindest, like funnest mountain bikers in North America. She's a two-time Olympian. She's the co-founder of Little Bella's Mountain Bike, which is an amazing, um, like, a huge network of young get, of people getting young girls on bikes on mountain bikes specifically her and her sister started it and they've done an incredible job in the past whole lot of years it's actually been going for quite a long time which i hadn't really realized we get into it a bit in the podcast talking about what she's up to there she's kind of recently left racing xco so cross-country like olympic style where she's no longer going to the world cups uh, but that has not really slowed her down in terms of just racing in general. Um, but it has shifted how she approaches racing and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. She has a great energy. So that's exciting that she's going to be there as well. Um, I, I would just side story is that I remember going to Trans Rockies way back and there was a couple NHL players there and I was super impressed by this. And so they were doing the race, but 
all to say you never know who you're going to uh, rub shoulders with. And I actually know at least one client was very excited that Leah Davidson was at Quebec single track experience. So and also let's point out, I mean, this is Canada, this is Quebec. So your odds of having an NHL oh, player showing up, pro- I mean, probably a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Leah Davidson, an NHL player. <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, we're always, you know, looking for more guests, looking for more questions as we head into winter. So definitely hit us up over on the socials. If you have any recommendations and let us know, if you've signed up for QSE so we can uh, make some plans for Hangouts. All right. Enjoy this episode with Leah Davison. All right. Leah Davison. All right. Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so, so, so excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm psyched to be here. I admit you're you're one of the people that's been on my like podcast bucket list for a really long time. And I've legitimately been like very intimidated about asking you because you're like <laughs> one of my one of my like heroes in cycling. So this is like so exciting. Wow, I'm so glad that you asked me. <laughs> if you asked me years ago, I would have come on too. Like <laughs> no well, time like the present though. <laughs> well, I feel like now you have sort of even more awesome stuff to talk about and stuff that, you know, I, even, yeah. you know, obviously years ago you would have had tons for our listeners, but I think, you know, right now you have this really interesting, unique point of view that I think a lot yeah. of our, our listeners are, are going to appreciate. Yeah. It's- it's been kind of a wild ride the past season. <laughs> yeah. And actually, the first question I wanted to ask you is maybe a little weird, but how did giving a TED Talk compare to racing oh. at the Olympics? Oh, my gosh. This is such a great question. <laughs> so, um, yes, I call like TED Talk the Olympics of public speaking, pretty much. And yeah. so... <laughs> It was like racing the Olympics, but without any, that whole progression (laughs) where like that here I am, I'm racing junior races, I'm racing world cups. Now I'm progressing to the Olympics. It was like, oh, I took a six month class on public speaking. I'm really interested in this. I gave a couple of virtual, I gave a couple of virtual like question and answers and I was on panels. So like the public speaking of 2020, right? And then I gave one virtual keynote and then I gave a TED talk. So it was like a major jump. And I would say the experience was very similar, um, way easier physically. I don't know. I feel like the heart rate was probably about the same getting on the stage. The 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 weirdest thing is like there's a lot of parallels in terms of like high pressure like this is the moment and you can't really mess up and lots of hard work and prep going into it and then the the one weird thing is like i know what to do before like a world cup or a big race of how to like get myself in the flow and relax right is I go warm up like I ride my bike and so here I was like uh what do I do like there I need a trainer to ride like I am am I going to pace around like what should I do here so that was weird but there I felt like my elite cycling career like definitely prepared me for the experience and it was similar grueling hard work I mean once I had it written, then um, there's this whole like memorizing and internalizing process. And I would uh, give my TED talk 
two to three times in the morning and two to three times at night. And there was like a whole like memorizing process too, where I would like, okay, now I'm going to add a paragraph. Now I'm going to add a paragraph. And I practice it three times, three times. So it was a lot of time. Yeah. And work. Your partner must've been so freaking glad when it was finally oh over. <laughs> yes. Frazier like could absolutely give that Ted talk. She could absolutely do it. And now like, it's so funny because sometimes like certain words come up that are in my TED talk and we like both say the line. Like, and it's like, oh my gosh, we both have this memorized. Oh my God. Amazing. Funny. So yeah. I have to ask, are you a kinesthetic learner? Like, did you find while you were practicing, you had to be like pacing around or were you looking at oh, cards so or were you like listening to stuff? How did that yeah, go no, you? I can't like listen to things because I'm super distracted, like my focus, because I'm an extrovert, you know, so I'm like, oh, oh, there's like somebody singing or talking or like, so that's, so I need silence. And I'm actually, I memorize by writing the best. So I guess that is partially like a kinesthetic learner, like Mm -hmm. it's physically writing it out. That's how I memorized it. And then I would like write it and then I would try to give it without looking, looking at it. So yeah, it was kind of a com- combo combination of both, ah. but yeah, I'm a mover and a shaker for sure. <laughs> okay. Now I have to ask at the start of the Ted talk, um, were you like waiting for like a green light to go to, to get started? It's so interesting. Yeah. So it's with a live audience and they're like, we're going to edit this later. So if you like forget like a line or you like freeze, it's okay. Just like take a moment and like, and then we can edit that out. So it was, it was kind of interesting because I was like, are, okay, are my slides up? And um, the woman who was like helping out was like, yep. And I'm like, can I go? She's like, yep. And I'm like, okay, here I go. There's no whistle. (laughs) gun that goes off yeah there's no like cyclocross green light you know yeah, we're not taking the tape away like how do how do yeah. we know this is yes, this is impossible exactly <laughs> like when you realize you're at like casual races where they're just like and i guess go and you're like wait yeah and like three two one and you're like, what do you mean what do you mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay. Uh, What made you take the public speaking class in the first place? Was it you decided you wanted to do a TED talk and then you're like, okay, how do I get ready? Or just feel like taking public speaking? Yeah. Like randomly. Um, It's so cool because the USOPC has this whole division underneath it called ACE, which is athlete career education. I think that's what that is. And they offer like a lot of these just kind of like one time or three part series where um, Olympians can like just take these classes. So one was like a three part series on public speaking. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is something that I'm interested in. And so I took it in the fall of, uh, I think, 2019, like after the season. And um, Leslie Maxey, who ran that, she is like a commentator. She used to do um, commentating. She's a track and field Olympian. And now she's um, a public speaker, phenomenal speaker. And so she then after that, um, 
like was doing this like beta testing for this this six month class called the speaker and you and i reached out to her because um in june of 2020 someone reached out to me and was like can you do like a question and answer on um for pride month and i was like yeah sure but i know who to call like just to get some tips you know and she's like actually leah i'm like figuring out this like six month class on public speaking and i'm like game on i'm in like this is something (laughs) i want to do so yeah, it was kind of just through that like exploration through under the USOPC, but they provide a lot of phenomenal resources. It's it's incredible, really. Like I I feel taken care of for sure. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah. I mean, okay, speaking of you know Olympic and you know cross country, you know you have retired from the the XCO circuit. How has uh, I I feel like retirement is in such quotes <laughs> when I say that with with yes. you, given you know. <laughs> Like two weeks ago, we're in marathon nationals and yeah, <laughs> so we're using that loosely, but uh, it's still a bit, it's still an adjustment. So how's it been? Absolutely. Yeah. It's been um, a really interesting transition. I, I felt like, uh, you know, after the um, 20, what year is it? 2021. So after the 2021 season, like after the final world cup, Frazier and I um, went away for the weekend, like in the woods of New Hampshire. We we don't turn on, on our cell phones. You know, it's like a screen-free weekend. And we really just like discuss like, okay, here are all these different options and all these different paths and what am I feeling? And I felt like it was the right moment to retire from World Cups, but I wasn't necessarily ready to like go cold turkey because I love my bike. You know, I'm I'm still at a point where I like I love bike racing. So we kind of designed this season to be an off ramp and like a transition into retirement, really. So I said I'm like putting the tired in retirement because <laughs> like, I started doing these wicked long races um, at first, you know, part of the Lifetime Grand Prix and like Unbound. That is way longer than I'm used to. So that like getting into the gravel scene has been really interesting and i feel um lucky because i feel like the universe gave me a gift at most every world cup like i was still i still watch all the world cups like i love it i love that level of racing and at every world cup it seemed like it poured rain (laughs) and it was just like treacherous and I'm sitting here like, all right, <laughs> like what a gift, you know, like I'm not too upset about not racing at that level. And, uh, you know, when I decided to go do like halfway through the season, I decided to go do marathon worlds. And that was such a cool experience. Like I realized that, yeah, racing at the highest level on the mountain bike, like you know, I was in that front group with Yolanda and Pauline and like all the heavy hitters. And I was like, this is where it's at. You know, like this is what really lights me up. And so it's been a learning experience. Like I thought uh, going into it, hey, I'm I'm a cyclist. I'm a racer. Like I love all forms of racing. And I'm like, actually, I don't like this is something I learned yeah (laughs) like I love mountain bike racing and like at the highest level like that's what really gets me going so Mm -hmm. it's been yeah it's been interesting 
Yeah. And it's been really cool to, to watch you sort of pivot through this season. Like you say, you started in the lifetime grand prix thing and yeah. that just, that wasn't fun. I think was, was what you yes. said. <laughs> yeah. And I think it takes, it takes someone who's like pretty strong and self-confident in like who they are, like as a person and a racer to be like, yes, I'm signed up for this thing, but like, this is no longer the thing that like works for me. So, yeah. Like rather yeah. than being locked in. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was, it's been really cool because all of my partners on board are like, you've done it, you know, like good work for 20 years. You've had like a phenomenal career and we're just psyched to have you on board, you know? So it's been phenomenal to have that support and like flexibility to kind of pivot, you know, and, and be like, yeah, we, Leah, we don't want you to be, you know, miserable. We would love you to be happy. And so go race your mountain bike. Like, yeah, we support you. So it's pretty incredible because 20 years, you know, it's been very rigid and, um, you know, there's a set schedule, World Cups, Olympics, those were the goals. And so I haven't gotten a chance to race in the States a lot. And then also do like all these different sorts of races. It's when the goal are, is World Cup, like you, everything is structured around that. So it's been really cool to have freedom and like a little bit more breathing room in terms of all around, like training wise, schedule, racing. Yeah. All these decisions. It's been liberating. Yeah. I also love what you were saying about sitting down with Frazier and actually talking through what, like, what is going to be the schedule? Like, what is going to be like the thing yeah. we're going to do? Because I think even for like the master's athletes who are just racing for fun, they often skip this step with their partners and families. <laughs> so it's, I feel like let's just highlight the fact that like the pro athlete who's doing this as the career is sitting down and discussing this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it takes a village. And like, as I said in that documentary, like it, like Frazier is the mayor, mayor of my support village. And I feel very grateful that um, she understands, you know, she definitely has an understanding of elite athletics and what I do. And she just is on board to support me in all the ways, whether it's like, okay, I'll be your carrot for intervals or I'm going to, she's way more organized than I am. So I'm going to get you organized for like this trip. Thank goodness. You know? So um, we make a, we make a great team and that is a key step. Like your partner needs to be on board with your goals and you need to, I think the best process is to like get their opinion, you know, like, and you arrive at that kind of major life decision together, because mm -hmm. if you don't, you know, there's, there's definitely like a, a little bit of a divide in the relationship and tension. So Yeah. It's, we make decisions together for sure. Love that. Just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. It's a missing <laughs> step for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So in addition to marathon, one of the other things you did this season was the Quebec single track experience. Oh yeah. So was that your first mountain bike stage race? No, I've actually done a, a handful. So um, I want to say my first was my first mountain bike stage race BC bike race like okay. one of the the first editions of BC bike race in like 2009 
um, when I was on Maxis Rocky Mountain, and I raced it as a partner race with Allison Sider. For those of you who don't know, yeah, she's a legend in mountain wow. biking. And so that was quite the experience. And we raced against like Catherine Pendrell and Georgia Gould, who were um, a, a pair. And, oh my gosh, when you're talking like yeah. glory days of North American yeah. mountain biking. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so um, I've done a couple stage races. I've done BC Bike Race twice. I've done um, Andalusia stage race right before everything shut down with COVID. Um, and I've done some stage races out in Greece, like in the hunt for UCI points in the lead up to Tokyo. And I do have to say, yeah, Quebec single track experience popped up. Um, the organizer who is just absolutely phenomenal emailed me at the perfect time. It was like the universe was like serving me up this really fun experience. Cause I was, it was after unbound, I was kind of toying with like, yeah, I think I'm going to drop out of the lifetime Grand Prix. Um, I want to focus on mountain biking. What am I going to do? And this email just popped up in my inbox and I was like, great, this is what I'm going to do. And this race is phenomenal. I loved it. I mean, classic in classic Canadian mountain bike style, it's technical. Like it is, it's definitely technical and challenging. It's, um, but not scary, you know, like not in a scary way. It's, it's doable. And there are beelines. And um, the, I think it was the fifth stage or the fourth stage. That was one of the best days I've ever had on a mountain bike. It's in Val du Bras Nord. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. So I'm sorry for Quebec. Apologies <laughs> to Quebec for this whole. <laughs> yes, for the, for this whole thing. And um, this, this stage is like along a river. It's um, you go underneath these like gorgeous waterfalls. It is, I mean, it's technical riding. It's like granite slab moves with bridges connecting it. I, I had the time of my life and it was raining. It was like literally 50 degrees and raining. And I'm like, this is the best day I've ever had on a bike. So <laughs> if that can, if in those conditions, I can have that great of a day, like that place is gorgeous. And I just don't know why more people don't, it's maybe just not on their radar, but I would equate this race with BC bike race. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just as good as when I did BC bike race and it was on the shore you know, on the North shore. And I, I like highly recommend this race. Yeah. No, the, the trails out there are just bananas. I, yes. I, I mean, I've never, I've never, uh, ridden them. I've run them in races oh, and there's some of like the hardest, most technical <laughs> challenging races I've ever done. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't mess around up there. No. <laughs> No. Um, okay. Before I get into asking you about the stage race preparation and all of that stuff, uh, you've mentioned the universe a couple of times. Have you gotten more into like the like universe and like manifesty side of things in your like, oh, I've, like, I've always, or... no, well, yeah, maybe in like the second half of my career. I mean, I've always uh, believed in like energy and putting stuff out there and, and manifesting it. Um, I think ever since I watched that movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? 
I think that's what it's called. And it's all, it's in, it's incredible. And it's all about energy. And um, yeah, it's like pretty striking. So that's where like, I've done vision boards before I've, yeah, I'm into like setting goals, manifesting it, all of that. And I'm a big believer in energy. I love that. I love that. So at this time of year, are you like starting to think like new year's stuff or when, when do you actually do sort of the goal setting for the next season? I always find this is like so interesting with, with cyclists because our seasons don't really line up with like new year's, but new year's still is like a thing. It's tricky. (laughs) Yeah, it is tricky. I mean, in, um, when I was like kind of on the on the World Cup grind, it would be easy. It's like, uh, yeah, you finish the season. I would take time off, probably more time off the bike than most people take because we really need a break. And I've I found in like the the latter half of my career when I took two weeks off, and I'm talking like ten days of two weeks off, like, and I'm talking, do not touch a bike, don't go for a run and have like a one day running season that get injured, you know, like classic, classic. Yeah. It's classic. (laughs) I've done it many times, you know, really take some time off. And, um, I think that's a good time to reflect on like what happened and then kind of set the goals for next year. And, but you know, my coach and I, we've, we've been working together for like almost my entire career, probably like, yeah, probably I would say over 15 years. And we would like, look at the schedule and (laughs) like probably in January, maybe sometime in December and like kind of do the basic outline. Like this is when you'll ski until this is when you'll go out and get on your bike. And then obviously we're going to do these world cups, you know, and, and kind of what falls in between. So the schedule for the most part has been set, you know, and the goal, the goals were pretty like, you could probably name my goals, like win the world championships, win a world cup, world cup podium, you know? So, um, but now it's so interesting because yeah, it's, it's so open for me. So I've been more into just like taking time to, to kind of like, um, absorb the season and like, and the great things that happened and like celebrate that. Cause all too often, I think in, in a cyclist like career, we're just so focused on improving the next thing. Like you're on the beat Mm -hmm. and the beat does not stop, you know? So it's like, we, I think it, it goes a long way to take some moments of gratitude and like to celebrate like flipping a flipping awesome season, even making it to the end of the season, like not injured. We're still happy. We still love racing bikes. Like that's something to celebrate. Yeah, for sure. Although have you found without the world cup, it's actually almost easy to overfill your season now that you don't have these like very concerted, like you have to do this calendar. I was going to yeah. say, you were just at Marathon Nationals and then into Rome, which <laughs> both sound amazing, but it's still like, yes. boom, boom. It is crazy. It's um, it's very easy to pack a schedule. I mean, even in Vermont, there's like almost a gravel race every single weekend. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And I feel like, oh, I don't have World Cups. I have all the time in the world. 
And there's all these things I want to do. And I'm actually more busy, like in terms of a schedule, like definitely more busy, but more rested because going back and forth, like over to Europe and just the, the sheer intensity of world cup racing and, you know, you're pushing your physical limits all the time. Like I am more rested. I have more energy, like, cause I don't have to like be so like on a, on a razor sharp edge, right. Of, of pushing limits. So mm-hmm. I've been bi- just as busy, maybe even more busy, but, um, I, I still feel like energized and, and more free really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I've actually really loved lately about your content is you've also been really like focused on the, the food side of the equation and, uh, you know, talking about the, the fueling and stuff. And I kind of wanted you to just kind of riff on that, like most recent post where you're talking about why carbs are really good and important, uh, you know, at whatever stage of our career or racing we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started working with a nutritionist or this nutritionist, Liz Fusco, uh, I would say in 2017 or 2018. Um, and she's phenomenal. Like we really get along well and she helped, uh, she worked for the USOPC for a long time and now she works with us rowing. And, um, I've learned so much from her, but one of the most important resources Um, was this athlete's plate, this concept of a visual athlete's plate. And this is what this is. Your plate is supposed to look like because, you know, we can talk, nutritionists talk numbers and this many grams of this and this. And I'm like, I need to see this. I'm a visual person. And so, you know, I printed out like there's the easy plate, the moderate plate, the hard plate. And, um, one of the most striking realizations is, yeah, every single plate, whether you're on an easy day, a moderate day, a hard day has carbs. Mm -hmm. And like, that can be, you know, whole grains, rice, like tortilla chips, anything. It, there are carbs on each, each plate. And it's just the portions of them change, you know, the visual portions. And the other thing that I found really interesting and, and a lot of athletes, you know, there's, there's like, you know, you've heard it all over the place. Like there's competing messages, right. Of like, you're, we got to cut weight. You can't eat carbs. Carbs are evil, you know? And, and like, so every play every day has carbs, even if you're taking a day off and most of my days, even days off are moderate plates because we, I move around a lot, you know, like even though I'm taking a day off, I'm like going grocery shopping Mm -hmm. or I'm writing emails and I'm like up and about and your energy expenditure is actually still up there. Especially if an easy day is like a, you go for a light jog or like an hour easy spin, like that's a moderate plate. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those, I, I feel like every time I get around a group of cyclists, I'm like, you need to print out these plates. <laughs> like you need to put the plates on your fridge. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we have to fuel, 
we have to fuel our training and fuel the ride. You know, there's there all the language and language is so important is, oh, I rode so I can eat this, but it's the opposite. Like I must eat this to fuel my ride. Mm -hmm. Like, and the, and the more that we can flip our language over like that, the better the world's going to be. Yeah. Because it's not like you're earning your carbs. You need to fuel your day. Yep. I'm like, it's out of my reach right now. I literally have the the book that came out in 2016 called Fuel Your Ride. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Such a, yeah, right. Like the language around that matters so much. And I like the point about eating carbs even on the easy days, because especially like I, when I think about it, I'm like, the easy days tend to come after the really hard block. Exactly. <laughs> like I wake up on Mondays starving. Starving. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. It seems so totally. silly that I wouldn't eat that much that day. I'm like, no, like this is the day, like I'm still revved from yesterday and the day before yeah. and the week before. Like, <laughs> and your body needs like to recover. Like mm. it needs the carbs. It needs the protein to recover. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of points where we are eating all of the carbs because we are trying to recover very quickly. <laughs> Coming back to stage racing. So yeah, uh, for, for new people uh, thinking about stage racing, let's, let's talk through the, talk me through like what a day at QSE looked like, like, what are we eating? Yeah. Like, how are we making sure like we're prepped and ready for the next day? All that stuff. Yeah. So carbs are huge. Eat all the things. Um, it usually included an early wake up because stage races start early. So everyone has plenty of time to finish each stage. Um, I tend to, I love to like, food is a way to explore a place for me. So I found these like neat little um, waffles in the grocery store up in Quebec that are pretty much like Belgian waffles. Like they really, they have the pearl sugar in them even. Yes. And yes. <laughs> if you've had like a bel a real Belgian waffle from Belgium, oh my gosh, there's like nothing like it. So this was like Belgian waffle adjacent. And so I would, I would eat probably like two of those waffles. I would just throw them in the toaster they didn't really need maple syrup, but I put them on anyway, because put it on anyway, because I'm a Vermonter. <laughs> you're a Vermonter in Quebec. You pretty much, you're like contractually <laughs> yeah. obligated to use maple syrup. <laughs> you must have the maple syrup. And, um, and also like maple syrup, like in a stage race, you need that extra carb. So that can usually come from a couple tablespoons of maple syrup on whatever, or um, adding a glass of juice to breakfast. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of get that extra boost of carbs. And then I'm drinking a bottle of noon um, just to make sure that I arrive to the start line hydrated. I mean, that's the most important thing. So it can be noon makes, or they used to make this really great, uh, like almost a prime drink, drink mix, you know, it would, it was a hyper hydration. Now, you know, they make great sports tabs. So, um, I, I use those and then yeah, race the stage, take in plenty of carbs during the stage. So this is key, not only for like that day of race, but also all the following days. So I aim for, uh, man, around like 50 to 65 grams of carbohydrates per hour. 
and I'm, I'm a heavy sweater. So I most like on, on all the stages, I took a camel back and that's like, uh, I don't know, 60, a t- typical is like 60 ounces of water, 70 Something ounces to that of effect, water. Yeah. Yeah. And I have like two scoops of noon in there. Um, I have two water bottles with more noon so I can get more carbs. And then I usually just supplement with gels, bars. Gels are the easiest during like when you're really racing. Yeah. And then right after the stage, get in a recovery. So I aim for within that 20 minute window, 30 minute window. This is key. You have to, especially in stage racing, but in, in, all training, get in 20 grams of protein in that, in that window. And I was, um, I started working with this great company core power. So they make like a recovery beverage that's lactose free and it's like strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, and it's shelf stable. So you can just, you can take it with you. That's the main thing is like, it's sitting in this like hot car, right? So I don't need a cooler. I can just take it with me wherever and then get it in. Um, and then, yeah, try to get some lunch. I mean, at the if it's really long stages, Liz says, get whatever in your mouth within like that 30 minute window. So if they have a table with food, oranges, candy, Coke, like we're doing it all people because- the carbs matter like day to day. Um, and then, uh, you know, QSE, like you have dinner back at base camp that night and it's great, you know, and that's, and it's a hard, hard plate. So it's protein, it's a little bit of veggies and a lot of carbs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's kind of what it looks like on really big days, like training days. And then also stage races, if I haven't done a great job fueling, I wake up in the middle of the night hungry. This is what I usually like. This is my telltale sign. Like, okay, I haven't been eating frequently enough or enough on the bike. And so usually I'm waking up, um, in the middle of night and like eating a yogurt or banana with, um, cashew butter or yeah, whatever I can find (laughs) a Mm -hmm. waffle. Love it. Love it. Now with that kind of race where you have like, you know, several stages, how are you thinking about like pacing through that? Because I know that, you know, especially when you're used to like one or two days of racing, it's pretty tempting to go real hard day one. Yes. When you're really fresh and mostly everyone does that, you know, and, and Allison Sider in that first stage race I did, she was like, everyone is going to have one off day in a stage race. Like it's just going to be one day where you're not feeling it. And if you're in a, like doing a partner stage race, that takes a lot of communication and patience, you know, cause usually both partners don't have an off day on the same day. Right. Um, in terms of pacing, I tend to get better as like, the race gets longer, but not too long. <laughs> like <laughs> not, not as long as I'm not bound, 200 like, miles, but yes. <laughs> like up to three, four hours. And so, um, and Quebec single track experience was cool because it, it's not like I had a lot of pressure on that race. I was just going out and trying things. Like it was like a pressure free zone. So 
I would just try to beat the guys, you know, like I was having a lot of fun racing around, like in the top five of the guys, like the, the entire week. And like, you know, one person would have a bad day. I would have a good day, like vice versa. So I, yeah, I use Quebec single track experience as like more of an experiment. Like, yeah, I'm going to go hard. This is a great training block and a great training block for, you know, marathon world championships, et cetera. So, but I would not recommend that (laughs) for everybody that approach. I, you have to take it, you know, like do not go off the line sprinting at like a cross race speed, like work. It's okay to work your way into each stage and also like work your way into the week. So I would say, start off like a little bit less, like a little bit slower than you think. And then like build, it's way more fun to build into the week. Mm -hmm. Love that. You mentioned Camelback. Was there any other gear and we could be talking tires, we could be talking certain chamois, whatever, that was like just absolutely clutch for this race? Oh, so interesting. Yeah. The Camelback definitely is clutch. Um, Also, I and these aren't sponsors, but like I brought plugs with tire plugs with me. I, um, bought a tubalito. So like a very light tube, inner tube in case I had a flat, um, CO twos are key, uh, all the gels in the world, but you got to bring different food because you're not going to want sweet stuff. Like you get, your gut gets tired of it. Um, I, I rocked my Kenda tires, the 2.4 boosters the entire time. And that was awesome. Like in, in all conditions, like it rained, it was muddy, it was dry, it was loose, rocky. So, um, that, that's just like a great all around tire. And I would recommend like a wider tire, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's, you know, the race is not going to be like one, the race can be lost with a flat tire, but it's not going to be one with like a lighter, like the lightest casing out there. So I was running the heavier case, not heavier, but like thicker casing. It's actually not even that much heavier. Um, the SCT casing on my Kenda tires, because I like, you can lose a race real quick, um, by getting a flat tire. So I, I usually go for like the thicker casing. Yeah. I love that. I also love that you didn't switch your tires three weeks. I think the temptation is like, you know, you're kind of messing with your bike every single stage and like trying to change tires, but then you wake up in the morning and realize your tubeless didn't seal or seed or whatever. So Actually, even that, like after each stage, what are you doing to like, are you doing any like quick bike check or any like bike maintenance or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I do during a stage race is bring an extra set of brake pads because, um, or two, two extra sets, because especially if it's muddy, you know, those things wear down real quick. I learned that actually I did another stage race in Malaysia and I learned that very quickly in Malaysia. Cause it was so muddy and I finished that race barely, I was in the lead and I barely had any brake pads <laughs> left. I mean, we were just, we were really cutting it close. So 
Um, that would be the one thing that I kind of would tinker with or find the race mechanics and say, Hey, how's this looking? Can you switch this out for me? But yeah, it's all like in a stage race, it's all about energy conservation. Mm -hmm. So I make sure my bike's clean, the chain is lubed and then, and like do a bolt check of course, like at the beginning of the week. Um, I check my tire pressure, like in the morning, make sure it's set to what I want, um, want it to be. And then it, that's pretty much it. If, if something's off, like if the shifting's off, okay, I'm going to address that. But yeah, I like set it and forget, forget it like for the week. Cause you're, you're exhausted. And so you yeah. just want to make sure to go lay down and get some recovery in. That's really smart. Also, just the point of bringing the brake pads for literally anyone, bring all of your extra stuff, like bring the brake pads, bring the chain, bring all that. Because if you're trying to count on like a mechanic happening to have the stuff that's going to fit your bike, it's not going to happen, especially not right now, not in Canada. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We have nothing. Bring an an extra set of tires because you may flat a tire and you need to switch it, you know? So yeah. Bring, bring those key spare parts for sure. Yeah. And I like what your point about like, you're just going to, you're going to be exhausted. Cause I think a lot of people look at these schedules for the races and they're like, Oh, I'll be done by noon. Cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my computer and I'll get a few hours of work done in the afternoon. No problem. I don't even really need to like take <laughs> yes. the time off work. I work remote. This is going to be totally fine. Yep. <laughs> Not the move. <laughs> yeah. It's always like, I mean, if reading is your thing, this could be it, but reading is not typically my thing. And so I always like bring a book and I'm like, I never read it. It's just like, just decoration in my bag. I'm like too tired, you know, I'm too tired. So if anything, I'm just, it's like a lot of prep at night for the next day. Like I'm going to make my bottles. I'm going to get everything laid out, cleaned up. And then I'm going to, lay down and -hmm. like maybe watch something, but it, it actually takes way more time than you think to get all your equipment set to eat, you know, and get all everything set for the next day. Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, so good. So many good pieces of advice there. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is just, uh, just what's, what's new and what's shaken with the little Bella's program. I mean, how many years have you been running that now? Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, um, my sister and this other woman, uh, Angela Irvine and myself founded it back in 2007. Holy and so, crap. Yeah, I guess that is that 15, 15 years. 15 years. Maybe? That's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And it's, and it's really grown. So now, yeah, it's an all girls mentoring on mountain, mountain bikes program. We have chapters, um, and programs all throughout the U S we are powered by our amazing volunteer mentors and our program leads who like are leading our chapters and programs all in all of these different locations. Now we have almost over, I think we have over 600 volunteer mentors that make the little Bella's programs happen. So it's pretty incredible. Um, I am on the board of directors and obviously a, a co-founder and my sister save runs runs little bellas so it's pretty cool that it's grown so much that now it can be her you know full-time job uh it's no longer our full-time volunteer jobs (laughs) and uh yeah and we also have other employees too so it's really cool um 
I think the most exciting thing that's happening, well, there's a lot of exciting things. And one is uh, we have a big access initiative. So we're really focused in current programs to reduce the barriers for um, girls and participants like getting on bikes, right? And that that takes a lot of different forms and it varies, um, you know, depending on what location. And we also um, got a grant to start these new um, access chapters. So we have one in Baltimore. Um, I believe we have one in Minnesota and I don't know where our other like full access program is, but all of, we're really doing the initiative in all of our chapters. So we've, we have a chapter, a thriving chapter in Salt Lake city in park city. And we started a whole nother Sunday session or weekly session program. And now we've like doubled our Hispanic uh, participation oh, and wow. we've translated some of the materials um, into Spanish. And so it's, it's very exciting, very exciting. That's super cool. And I, it sounds like all of the chapters, you're approaching the access situation, like kind of looking at like what that chapter needs in that area. Yes. Because I think the problem whenever like we had like the nationwide thing, it's so easy to do like a blanket approach to like adding access. And it's like, well, that's not, mm -hmm. this community needs like, this because this is their issue this community needs this and yeah i love that absolutely yeah each each community needs something different and may have different challenges so we uh work really closely and and have partnerships like within the community and um the program lead and the mentors really i mean they they have their finger on the pulse they're in the community so um it's working very closely with them that's so cool. All right. Uh, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find Little Bellas, where they can donate to Little Bellas, all that fun stuff. Yeah. You can follow me on um, Instagram. My handle is Leah Eats A Lot. Which is still <laughs> my favorite Instagram handle of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, Little Bellas is also on Instagram. It's Little Bellas MP MTB. And you can find Little Bellas on the website, littlebellas.com. Go to the Get Involved tab. If you want to volunteer, be a mentor, start a chapter, or donate, every dollar goes towards getting directly towards getting girls on bikes. So, and every dollar helps too. Mm -hmm. So, no donation too small. We also, next week, starting on the 14th, have a, a auction going on. So, a silent auction online. And that an and at an event we're doing called Bellibration next Thursday in uh, Minneapolis. So I'm going to be going there um, for Bellibration and speaking about the little Bellas and having a good time. But please check out our auction. Um, there's some really cool things up there. So oh, I love that. I'll have to put that out on all of the the Shred Girls Instagram and stuff. Yes, please have our yeah little spheres that kind of overlap with that i love it i love it so much yes well, hopefully <laughs> hopefully i'll get down and get to see you at one of these little bellas things at some point or maybe we'll overlap at quebec single track we'll see yes come race it next year racing might be <laughs> pushing it peter might come the, ride it the plan is peter's gonna ride it i might do like a day but i'll be there with our tiny dogs so okay great <laughs> i'll be the awesome. one like running the course with like a little dog in my backpack that'll be it's, great well that's great too <laughs>
Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.